All right, let's read Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, we began this series, and we called it devoted because of the one of the first words in this passage is the word devoted, and it means to focus all of your energy, to, to, to kind of center everything on that, on that specific thing. And so when you think about it, it's like, hey, there's a lens through which I view the world. There's this way that I think about everything that comes before me and how I prioritize everything in front of me. And we all do that. You know, for some people, they devote everything, everything is devoted to them. And so they think about everything they look at and they say, how does this benefit me? Or what does this do for me? And we've all met people like that. Some of us are devoted to good things. Uh, we're devoted to our families, and so we focus on everything in, in terms of how does it impact our family and what does it do for our family? Does it bring joy to our family? Other people are devoted to their work, and so we see people like this, that every moment, every hour, everything that they do is how does this impact my work and how does this help me in my career path and what does this do for me? And then what we see here is that these people were devoted to something entirely. And so for them, as they devote themselves to these things, work and family and self are all fed through a different lens. It doesn't mean that those things aren't important, but it means that the focus, the way that which they view those things, everything is prioritized through this. And so it kind of resets everything for us. So rather than looking at our lives through ourselves, through family, through work, we look at everything through something different. And see, what they devoted themselves to was the apostles' teaching, to the way of Jesus. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And they devoted themselves to prayer. It's a huge deal. Because what happens then when they do this is everything begins to change. And this community begins to form that looks so different and so incredible that it took the breath away of the people around them. Dr. Gilbert Bezekian says this as he paraphrases this passage. So listen to this paraphrase that he wrote. He said, There was once a community of believers who were so totally devoted to God that their life together was charged with the Spirit's power. In that band of Christ followers, believers loved each other with a radical kind of love. They took their masks off, and they shared their lives with one another. They laughed and cried and prayed and sang and served together in authentic Christian fellowship. This community of believers offered unbelievers a vision of life that was so beautiful that it took their breath away. It was so bold, so creative, so dynamic that they couldn't resist it. See, now these verses, as Dr. Gilbert Berzekian paraphrases this, it, they're written in such a way that we're supposed to get a sense of awe from them. 
As we read them, we're taken back to a moment that we're meant to not forget. And that's what Luke, the author of this passage, was doing. He writes in a way, typically, uh, that is very quick, very fast, quickly paced. Uh, the book of Acts is really written over a period, or, or talks about a period of about 10 years. But in that time, he just kind of moves from point to point to point to point to point in such a way that you can sit down and read it. And it seems like what happened took place over maybe a couple weeks or a couple of months. And that's just kind of his fast-paced writing. And he does that in these two volumes, Luke and Acts. The story of Jesus, he tells in just this quick succession. And then he gets an Acts and he does the same thing with the church, just kind of point after point after point after point. And that seems to be Luke. And in a lot of ways, I, I feel like I understand what he's doing and who he is because this is kind of how I move through life, just point to point to point, next thing to next thing to next thing. And sometimes it's hard to slow down. Sometimes it's hard to look around and see what we have around us. Now, in some ways, the pandemic allowed us to do that. We all had to stop. We all had to look around. We all began to have these moments where we recognized what we had in front of us. And then we began to speed up again. And so I almost wonder if Luke, in some ways, experiences this moment, everything slows down. He looks around and he has a sense of awe at the community around him. And he recognizes this is a special moment. I don't want to forget this moment that's right in front of me right now as we move into the future. And so he writes this down. I think he writes it down for people to come back to over and over and over again. And this has happened all throughout church history. People have stopped and they've said, wait, 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 wait. Can I go back to that moment? Listen to the awe that was taking place. Listen to what was happening in that moment. Something special was taking place in that moment, in that beginning of that church. And what does that look like for us today? So again, people have asked that throughout the ages. They've said, what does it look like for us today in this moment to have that kind of beginning? And so that's why I've read this passage to us and why we've taught on this. It's because I want to look at this and I want to think about, as we go back to this, what does this mean for us today? What happens when we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer? What happens when we simplify everything about church down to those things that matter? Because what happens is we end up creating all this bloat. We create all this kind of consumerism based around the church about things I want and things I need. And that doesn't mean that we don't support each other. It doesn't mean that we don't create ministry opportunities like kids ministry and things like that. All those things matter. But again, what is the priority? What it was to the lens that we view everything we do through. See, sometimes what happens is we get it turned around backwards and we do a bunch of stuff and we try to center that in on the church and we kind of think of all the stuff we do. If we could just do more stuff, maybe things would be great. Rather than seeing it as, if we do these four things, then they will lead us to the stuff that we need to be doing. And that's the essence. That's the sense that happens here. These verses give us a sense of awe in this moment. They take us back to a moment that we're not meant to forget. And that is so clear in this verse that we're looking at today. Acts 2.44. It says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, one of the weird things we just accept as normal is that the Bible is broken into chapters and verses. But it wasn't always that way. In fact, it wasn't until around 1550 that the first translation of the Bible showed up with chapters and verses. Now, sometimes that's a bad thing because it causes us to miss the whole of the story as we pull the part out. 
And then what we do is we, 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 we create this, this paradox where we say, okay, so we're reading from this text and this book and these verses, but then we pull this out and we miss the context of what's going on around it. Now, what we've tried to do in this is we've tried to set these verses within the context. Rather than pulling out the verses, we've tried to read them within the context of the whole passage. But here's what's really cool. Where, where these verses, where these breaks and these these uh, chapters and verses help us is in a place like this. Because in this moment, they cause us to slow down. These divisions invite us to read, to take each one at a time, which we've done over the course of the series, read it slowly and see what it has to do with us today. And this is so important and so significant for us as we come to this verse. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, if we didn't have the division that we have here, it might be really easy to miss something special that is happening in this chapter, in this verse, in this sentence as it was originally written in. See, if we, if we don't do that, what happens is we go right on to the next verse that I'm going to look at next week. In that verse, it talks about people selling property, sharing resources, and when we read this verse that tells us they had everything in common, that's what we think of. Now, that's part of it. For sure, that, that, that's, that's so important for us to see. I think they do go together. They had everything in common. They shared resources. They met everybody's needs. But what I don't want to miss is that there's something special about this particular verse. I almost, I almost, almost as I wrote this sermon, did a sermon on 44 and 45. And then I saw something and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's not get in a rush. Let's stop and read specifically in 44 because there's something here that I don't want us to miss. Listen again to these verses or just this verse. All the believers were together and had everything in common. All the believers were together and had everything in common. I told you I want to show you something really cool about this. And to do that, we have to go to the beginning of the telling of the story. Now, again, as a reminder, going back to the beginning isn't simply back to the book of Acts. Going back to the beginning is the book of Acts and the book of Luke. Because Luke and Acts, which in our Bibles is separated by the book of John, Luke and Acts are actually a two-part story, so it makes more sense sometimes to think of Matthew, Mark, John, now read Luke and go directly into Acts, because the way he wrote it was like a two-volume story. Again, like I talked about at the beginning, the life, the teaching, the death, the resurrection of Jesus centers here in the book of Luke, and then it picks up at the resurrection of Jesus and the birth of the church in Acts and continues that story. And so it's almost like this break. It's like this two-part story taking place. So to understand what's happening in these verses, all the believers were together and had everything in common, we have to go back to the beginning of those stories. Listen to this, and I'm going to put the two together. So we're going to read Luke 1, 1 through 3, directly into Acts 1, 1 through 2. Here's the beginning of Luke. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. 
With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now Acts 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. Now, here is what's really important for us to understand about this book. This is why, again, I always teach about this. Context matters. We need to learn about the books as much as we can. And sometimes we don't have all these answers, and that's okay. And so this is why scholarship matters. This is why investigation matters. This is why discussion and learning, all of these things matters. Academics matter because we learn so much when we understand the context of the books that we're reading. Luke and Acts is so important because Luke, the author of these books, and Theophilus, this recipient that we hear about of these books, were both Gentiles. And that simply means that they weren't Jewish. Now that doesn't seem like a big deal to most of us, but this was a huge deal. In fact, it was the huge deal in the early church. It was a huge deal in the first century for the early church because this was the discussion. This was the question. A significant revel or it was a significant revelation of the early followers of Jesus. See, this matters. And I, can't, I don't even know how to begin to explain how much this matters. We almost have to read the New Testament through this lens. Jesus was a Jew. His followers, the apostles, the disciples of Jesus were Jewish. His followers around him through his life, through his death, through his resurrection were Jewish. And then this question begins to happen because what happens through, as they look at the teaching of Jesus, as they look at the things he said, as he said, go out into the world and share the good news, was that Jesus was saying just exactly what the Old Testament was telling the people of Israel. You have a responsibility to go be teachers and priests, to go tell the story of God to this world. And that revelation is fulfilled in Jesus. And he says, now go and share the good news with all the world. Just as Abraham was told to go to be a blessing to the world, Jesus tells us to go and be people of good news to this world, pointing everybody back to the love of their heavenly father, the creator of our wonderful universe, who says, I want to have a relationship with you, with the entire creation, with the whole world. But see, this was a huge question for everybody. Because immediately all they asked was, was this good news for everyone? Was Jesus just for these people? Was Jesus only for this specific group? And the answer was no. Jesus was for everyone. This was good news for everyone, Jew and Gentile. And this was a huge part of the story of Acts and why Luke tells it. Luke is saying, I belong. I get to be a part of this story because of what Jesus did. I am invited to his table. And so this is a huge part of the story and something we want to see here. Now, here's where we see this happening. In the book of, in the book of Acts, Luke tells this story. In the book of Luke, he tells it in a way that the Gentiles can understand the story. In the book of Acts, he talks about how the Gentiles were then a part of this community. 
And we also see this in another follower of Jesus named Paul. Paul was a follower of Jesus who committed himself to share the good news of Jesus with the Gentile world. He answered in an affirmative, yes, the good news of Jesus is for Jew and for Gentile. It is for all people. Now, he emphasized this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. This is a letter to a Greek city called Galatia. And listen to the words that he says. We've read this before, but I'm going to read it again. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Now, that's a pretty big statement. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And what Paul was saying was, listen, guys. It is time to tear down walls of separation around us and build bigger bigger tables because everybody belongs at the table. And we need to make the table as big as we can make it. And that's Paul's emphasis and what Paul was trying to say. And Paul believed that this was his ministry to the world. His ministry was to share this with the world, that everybody belonged, Jew and Gentile. And as you can imagine, as it, as it does for us when we say, hey, tear down walls, build bigger tables, it gets you in trouble with the people who want to keep walls up and don't want to build bigger tables. So this got him in trouble, not with just with Jews, but also with Gentiles. Paul was accused of watering down the tradition of his people, the Jewish people, And he was accused of co-opting the stories and traditions of the Gentiles. But see, because he did that, because he took that risk, because he was willing to do that, he shared the good news for every single one of us, for me and for you. And he inspired Luke then to write something that changes this story for all of us. First, let's look at what Paul had to write. In one place, Paul so eloquently shared this argument. He did this so eloquently, taking his traditions and taking the traditions of the Gentiles, and he did it in such a way that some of the most brilliant philosophers in the city of Athens came to follow Jesus. And Luke recorded this story in the book of Acts just a little bit later in chapter 17. It says, Paul then stood up in a meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens. Now, people, this is a big statement. People of Athens. He is saying, Listen, Gentiles, Greeks, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, and now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. 
He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So do you see what Paul did here? This this moment at, at at Mars Hill at the Areopagus, standing among philosophers, among these Gentiles, Paul took what they knew. He, he, he took the things that were common to them, that the pieces that they understood, and he connected those back to the story of Jesus. He said, look, I know the things, I can see the things around that are important to you. The stories you know, the traditions you hold, the rituals that are important, all of these things that matter to you. And he said, but, but let me help you see those through a different lens. Help me let me help you see those through the lens of Jesus. This is so incredible and so amazing. And I think it's so easy for us to miss because there would be people that would say on one side, well, well, wait a minute. You can't connect that stuff to Jesus. That's not Jesus stuff, man. They would say, they would say that's not part of our tradition. That doesn't belong. For those people to come here, they have to belong to this first. These other people might say, wait a minute, this is our stuff. It doesn't belong to you. And what he says, no, 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 no. It is all God's stuff. It is all pointing to this story. And I want to show you how that integrates, how that connects, how all of that belongs to each other. So Paul, with eloquence and brilliance and in such an incredible way that has inspired so many people, said, I am going to help these people, these Gentiles, connect to the story of of God. I am going to help these unbelievers see their life in the way of believers. I, I want them to belong. I want them to, they, they are welcome at the table. Let me give them directions to that table through something they understand and something they know. Now, here's what's super cool about this. This wasn't just a Paul thing. Luke did the exact same thing, and he did it in chapter 2. He did this in the passage that we've been studying over those past few weeks, and it would have absolutely stood out to Theophilus as a Greek, as a Gentile. Uh, we can understand from his name as an educated person. He would have known the words of philosophers, and he would have seen verse 44 as the invitation that Luke meant it to be. So now listen again to these verses, I'm going to show you exactly what he did and how he did it, just like Paul. Acts 2.44 All the believers were together and had everything in common. Again, it sounds normal to us. We would read, just go on and read verse 45 and totally miss it. But what Luke was doing was he was saying, I'm going to show you something, Theophilus. And this would have out. I mean, it would have been highlighted. It would have been like a stop sign with lights around it, blaring for Theophilus to see. It couldn't have been any, it would have been like, uh, you've seen those cartoons of the arrows kind of pointing down, showing something. That is what Theophilus would have read when he read this. And I think it's one of those moments where you're reading something, you stop and you go, wow, I can't believe that that says that. I mean, I, I, this is the kind of thing where I would have had to take a walk I can't emphasize this more for you guys than I am this morning. This is a huge deal. And here's why. 
the idea that believers were together, coupled with this phrase that they had everything in common, wasn't unique to Luke at all. This was a common theme prevalent in Greco-Roman philosophical circles. When they wrote about the origins of Athens or Rome, they did it with this kind of utopian language. That, that people had everything in common, that they were together. They would have said, this is how Athens started. This is how Rome started. And see, for them, that was their beginning. That was their moment. When they said, when did everything start? Everything started at Athens. When did everything start? Everything started at Rome. Now, the philosopher Plato wrote these words in describing Athens in its early days like this. Now listen, does this sound familiar? None of its members possessed any private property, but they regarded all they had as the common property of all. So Plato is saying, look, Athens, the beginning, was so perfect because all its members, none of them possessed private property. They regarded all they had as the common property of all. And he said, wasn't that great? Wasn't that perfect? This is the utopian community because it was the beginning. It was the start. It was the foundation of something new. And that's what it ultimately points to. The start of Rome, the start of Athens. And now Luke is saying the start of the church is a brand new beginning. And Theophilus, I'm telling you, and this is what he's saying is, he's not saying that, hey, this is a, this is a, 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 a prescriptive thing for you to do, though it probably should be. He's describing something in such a way to say, Theophilus, this church, this thing, Thing that is happening to the followers of Jesus is a brand new beginning. A brand new beginning that in your mind should be equal to Athens and to Rome, to the start of everything that you hold sacred. Now, this is a big deal because when we talk about new beginnings as followers of Jesus, if we've been around the church for a while, we might use words like Genesis. And this is even common in our lexicon of the English language. We talk about the genesis of something. And in just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of Southeast. And we're going to talk about some genesis stories that got us started. And I, I will probably, just because it's natural language to use, use that genesis. Or we might talk about Adam and Eve. We might talk about the beginning. So when you tell somebody, hey, let me go back to the beginning, again, that's that picture that you imagine in your minds. These stories familiar to the Jewish people like Jesus, the disciples, Paul, are stories that we take for granted. And it's stories that people would have taken for granted because they read them over and over again. It was their language. It was their stories. But I can't say this any clearer. They weren't stories that Theophilus had ever read. They weren't stories that Theophilus, who Luke was writing to, had any idea about. And Luke, now listen to this, Luke, rather than saying, hey, you should know my stories. You should know my language. You should know my stuff. Rather than creating barriers that kept Theophilus out, he removed all of that to create a way for Theophilus to come in. The way that we might put it is he met Theophilus right where he was. 
That's the responsibility of the church. We don't tell people, hey, come, come in when you, when you look like us or talk like us or sound like us or understand things like us. He said, no, 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 no. You're already invited. You're already welcome. Come on in. Come on in. And now let me tell you. Let me tell you what's happening here. And see, this is the beginning. This is the center point. Luke used a phrase that pointed to the stories Theophilus knew because he wanted to tell him a profound part of the story of the gospel. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus is about a new beginning, a new way for humanity, a new way of being that breaks down every wall that had been built. I wrote it this way in my notes. I said, as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, the early followers of Jesus, the newly birthed church, lived in such a way that the only way to describe it was as a new beginning. The only way for Luke to describe this was to say, Theophilus, I don't know how to put this any other way, but to tell you, you are invited and if you would belong, you are going to experience a new way of being. You are going to experience a new start. You are going to experience a new beginning. There is no other way to put this. The greatest way to describe the invitation to follow Jesus, the Apostle Paul describes it like this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And I don't think that is limited to just individuals. I don't think Paul in 2 Corinthians is writing in such a way that he is describing your individual journey with Jesus. Yes, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Absolutely, 100%, you have a new beginning as an individual. But Paul is writing in a communal way, inviting people into a community that has also experienced a brand new newness. This is why he writes in such a way that this is a new humanity. This is a new beginning. The old has gone. The new is here. And why does that matter to us? Why is this so important? Well, here's why. The way things are, the way things have been, doesn't mean it's the way things have to be. Let me say that again for you this morning. The way things are, the way things have been, doesn't mean it's the way things have to be. Just think about that. Sharing that good news with the people around us. Hey, the way things are, the way things have been in this world, that's not the way things have to be. There is this thing called the kingdom of God that invites us into a new reality that looks nothing like the brokenness of the world around us. As I've thought about the past couple of weeks, the violence that we experience just miles from our homes. I, I don't even have words to, wise, to even wisely articulate how much I pray for a world that doesn't look like what we've accepted as normal. I am so tired 
of reading stories and seeing things and seeing violence in my community and people just saying, well, this is just the way things are. No, not even. I won't accept it as normal because it's not normal. It's the way things are. It's the way things might have been, but it's not the way things that are supposed to be especially if I call myself a follower of Jesus. We're not meant to, to, to be a part of this messed up brokenness. We're meant to create something more beautiful, something with grace and something with mercy, something with love, something with peace, not filled with violence, not violence that begets more violence, but love that brings more love. So I pray for a world that doesn't look normal, that, that we don't have to accept as normal. So let's not accept it as normal. Luke tells us of a community that lived in such a way that it felt like a new beginning for everybody in and around it. The Holy Spirit was so present in their lives, lives so devoted to Jesus that everything broken was restored. Everyone hurting was healed. Every day was seen as the first day of something that took everyone's breath away. Listen to that. They were so devoted, everything broken was restored. Imagine a world where we as followers of Jesus said, hey, everything that's broken, we're going to be a part of restoring. That everyone hurting, we're going to be a part of bringing healing. And that every day is seen as the first day of something new. That today, in this day, we started with prayer and I said, this is the day that you have given us. As the psalm says, let us rejoice and be glad in it because this is a brand new day, the start of something new. Every day is the start of a new opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. I wrote it down this way as I put it in my notes to close up. I'm done with accepting normal. I've given my life to Jesus and it's time to live like it. And here's what I invite you to do. I invite you to stop accepting normal too. Let's live like the resurrection matters, like new life has come, like heaven isn't where we go, but how we live today. Let's live like that. Let's go and be that kind of people, that kind of church. That's the invitation, my friends, that Luke gave to Theophilus. He said, don't be caught living in the world that was, but be part of the world that is becoming through the death, the life, through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit that is sweeping into this thing that he calls the church, that accepts the reality of the kingdom of God, a brand new way of believing, of becoming, and belonging. And that is the newness and the reality of the church. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that with you all things are new. Our lives have been changed. We don't have to accept the old way within us. We can become new. We can be people of love and grace and mercy. Help us as a community who follows you, not to accept the normal way of doing things, not accept the normal way, not to look at things and say, well, that's the way it's always been done. But to say, God, every day is a brand new day with you. Help us be people on the edge of what is becoming. Help us live out grace and mercy and love. Help us to restore the broken. 
Help us to be a part of healing the hurting in this world. God, help us to see that all things are being made new through you. And as we devote ourselves to being a part of your church, God, we see that reality taking place. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.